Let us pray. Father, as we have just sung, this morning we want to scale the utmost heights and catch a gleam of glory bright. We thank you that we have been reminded that where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. And where you are there, we thank you that you dispense to us the bread of life. So we pray that you would quieten our spirits, unplug our ears, open our hearts, and bless us with willing, obedient spirits. We pray that you would sanctify the lips that speak and ears that hear. And may your name be honored and glorified in our midst. And hide me behind the cross and may the cross of Christ appear to us afresh, calling us, sustaining us, strengthening us, and giving us hope. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I want to read a passage from Matthew's Gospel, 25th chapter, verses 14 to 30. And if you have your Bibles, you can uh, follow me in, in, in the passage, otherwise you can just listen to the passage. Again, it, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one, to the one he gave talents of money, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more talents. So also the one who received two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled account with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five talents. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. You see, I have gained five more talents. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for every one who has will be given and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have even that which he has will be taken away and throw that worthless servants outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses very simple but practical illustrations, sometimes hard to swallow because they cut through our heart and affect our lifestyle. And just to summarize the passage that we have read this morning, 
A man was going to a faraway country and he gave his goods to three of his servants, five talents to one, two to one, and one to another. And most scholars believe that a talent of silver represents about 16 years of wages for a soldier at that time. So approximately it equals a million dollars. So the master must have been a fairly wealthy man. And three of the servants, each of them, had plenty of money to invest. Secondly, they knew that their master would come back. And that they were accountable. So when the master returned after some time, each of these three servants came and stood before the master. And we see that the first two servants stood before the master with excitement. And we see that excitement in the word look or see. The third servant stood before the master with excuses. And when the master recognized that the first two servants had profited from what was given to them, his response was that of praise. He praised them for their work. He said, well done. Not only did he praise them, but he commended them for their faithfulness. Good and faithful servants, he called them. And he promotes them. You have been faithful in little things. I will make you ruler over many things. And he invites them into, their, into his happiness. He says, come and share your master's happiness. However, when the third servant came and responded to the master that he had not done anything with his, uh, uh, with his portion that came to him, the master rebuked him. He called him lazy and wicked servant. And he corrects him of the misunderstanding. This servant had a misunderstanding of who the master was. He says, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, or where you have not scattered seed. And then he demotes him. He takes away the talent that was, in his, that was given to him and gives it away to the one who had ten talents. And then finally, he casts him out of his presence. In English language, when we hear the word talent, we tend to think of natural talents. Talents in playing sports, talents in playing musical instruments, or talents in our ability to fix things. But I believe that there's a much deeper meaning in this parable that Jesus gave. He's talking about stewarding the responsibilities that we have. And this parable underscores the need to faithfully and wisely steward the resources that God has entrusted to us. And oftentimes when we hear the word stewardship, the image that conjures up in our mind is our faithfulness with money that has been entrusted to us. But what does stewardship really mean? If you go to the Webster's Dictionary and look at the meaning of stewardship, Webster defines stewardship as careful and responsible management of something that is entrusted to one's care. So it's not just money, but it's about resources that have been entrusted to us. And these are not ours, but they have been entrusted to our care. If you want to bring a biblical definition of stewardship, you would say something like this. The use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-honoring goals. 
This morning I've outlined six resources which God has entrusted to us. And how we take care of these resources that have been entrusted to us will play a vital role in our interaction with the Master on that day of reckoning. God has entrusted to us the stewardship of time. He has made us stewards of time. Our world revolves around time. The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning, look at the time. I don't know about you, but the last thing I do is look at the clock again. And there are many inequities in this world. But all of us have one thing in common. That's the same amount of time each day. God has allotted for each one of us 24 hours. The problem with us is not the amount of time God has allotted to us. But the view of our time. And how we use the time that has been allotted to us. As someone said, we are like trains. Always on the move. Always in a rush. And often late. And in this rat race of always being on the go. We are failing to grasp who we are. Why are we here? And where are we going? So it's like that bus driver who announces to his passengers, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that I have taken a wrong turn and I'm heading in the wrong direction. But don't be afraid. The good news is that we are making great time. <laughs> we have become enamored with speed for the sake of speed. Hardly taking time to think the meaning of life and the purpose of life. Three days ago I was having breakfast with somebody and I asked them their life story. They told me that they were going as international workers to another country. So I said, how did this come about? He said, we immigrated from another country in South America and uh, things were going really well. Both of them are professionals. We had two children. They were doing very well. We had a house. And suddenly it occurred to us We've got all of these things, but what's the meaning in life? What is the purpose that we have accumulating all of those things? To investigate the meaning of life, they uh, went to a church in the east end of the, uh, the city. And that day the Lord Jesus met them, transformed them. In 15 years, they have grown in leaps and bounds, and now they are heading as international workers to another country. We all know that developing vital relationships is tremendously time-consuming. But because of our product-oriented mindset, our tendency is usually to economize our commitment to spending time that is needed to develop deep relationships. Our lives are so busy with the mundane or with performance-enhancing uh, enterprises that we do not take the time that is needed to develop deep relationship with God. And unfortunately, sometimes even church activities and involvements can detrimentally in, impact our relationship with God as well as our relationship with our own family members. There are too many meetings, programs that are calling the body of Christ to go, 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 do, do, do. And all of these activities 
are debilitating our relationship with God as well as our relationship with those who are close to us, our spouses and our children. And recent research suggests that nearly 50% of churchgoers spend less than five minutes in personal prayer and study of God's word every day. Why does it matter how we spend our time? It matters because time is short. The Bible says that time is short. Not only is the time is short, uh, Moses in his prayer in Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. And Paul, while writing to Ephesians, he says, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. King James Version says, redeeming the time. I've already started making some changes in my life as I have started a a new calling. There's a lot of adjustments that I have to make so that my time with the Lord is not compromised. Shortly after my conversion at age 17, uh, I was watching a couple of men who were about 10 years older than me. Uh, On a a particular uh, weekday when I had a day off, I asked them, what are you doing for the afternoon? They said, we have this discipline. On Tuesday afternoons, we go out uh, during our lunchtime to a park and spend time in prayer. We spend that hour in prayer, just praying for ourselves, praying for the ministry that we are involved in, and praying for uh, our family members. So I asked them if I could join them, because I, I had nothing to do, so I joined them, and I was just so taken up by their dedication to take this time apart in getting to know God. In addition to their morning and evening times that they were spending time with God. I'm eternally grateful to God for sending these two men into my life because that discipline that started nearly 35, 38 years ago, God has been able to, uh, God has given me the grace to maintain that. And because of that, and that time of taking an hour away during my lunchtime from the busyness of the week enables me to express my love to my master. Gives me an opportunity to hear what he has to speak to me. And I can count many, many examples of God's strength, revelation, wisdom, grace being dispensed to me during those times. The second resource that God has entrusted to us is the resource of our ability. When God made you and me, he made each of us uniquely different. Each with a distinctive background. And each with an exclusive ability which no one else has. Rarity is what gives something its value. Although diamonds and coal have similar chemical structure, diamonds are more valuable because there are fewer of them. You are unique and exclusive. Therein lies your great value. No one will sing your song if you do not. You are the best you that there is. You may have only one talent. But someone, somewhere, needs what you have. As someone said, you are the only person on earth who can use your ability. The story goes that because Antonio's voice was high and squeaky, he did not make the tryouts for Cremona Boys Choir. When he took violin lessons, the neighbors persuaded his parents to make him stop. 
Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. His friends gave him a hard time because his only talent was whittling. When Antonio was older, he served as an apprentice to a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving. And soon his hobby became his craft. He worked patiently and faithfully. When Antonio died, he left 1,500 violins, each one bearing the label Antonio Stadiveras. They are the most sought-after violins in the world today, sold for an exorbitant price. Antonio couldn't sing, he couldn't play, he couldn't preach, he couldn't teach. But his responsibility was the use of his ability. And his violins are still making beautiful music today. The third resource that God has entrusted to us is the resource of love. In the book of Revelation, the angel of the Lord brings a message to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, was one of the flagship communities of faith. And the church of Ephesus was started by a couple called Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, Apollos actually was discipled in that church. And Apostle Paul preached in that church. And when the angel of the Lord came with a message to Ephesus, this is what the angel had to say. I know your deeds, your toil, which is your hard work, and your perseverance, and you have endured my, for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. You have been strong. But yet, I have something against you. You have forgotten your first love. Think of the time when you first made that commitment to Jesus. The excitement, the deep love, and the exponential growth that it resulted in your life. But somehow, somewhere, that deep love has been encroached. The first love has been encroached by cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, or worries. And the angel said to the church at Ephesus, Therefore therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent. Do the things you need to do and then come back to your first love. God wants us to steward our first love. And God also wants us, has given us stewardship of our energies. Once a teacher of the law, kind of people that uh, rarely came to Jesus, came to Jesus and said, Master, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said in Mark's Gospel 12:29, as it recorded there, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with all your energy. Loving God with all our energy speaks of the ultimate expression of our heart, our soul, our mind being released together through bodily functions. God wants us to express our love to Him by using our energy. As a teenager or as a young adult, He wants wants you to use your frenzied energy to serve Him and to love Him. As a middle-aged person who has got a rather comfortable life, God wants you to use your energy to serve Him. As an older person whose strength is failing, the Lord wants you to appropriate 
the strength and energy that comes by waiting in His presence. We have to quit ourselves to things that drain us of our energy and waste our time. God gave tremendous energy to Samson. But alas, Samson squandered it in promiscuous living. Just two weeks ago, a new book came out uh, by Stanford uh, professor uh, Philip uh, Zimbardo and, and his co-author Nikita Duncan. And the title of the book is uh, The Demise of Guys. The author surveyed about more than 20,000 men. And their conclusions are startling. They say the rampant overuse of video games and online phone are causing the demise of guys. And they go on to say, in traditional drug arousal, addicts want more of the same. Either cocaine or heroin or, the, or your favorite food. But video game and phone addictions are different. They are arousal addictions, where the attraction is in the novelty, the variety, or the surprise factor of the content. Sameness is soon habituated. Newness heightens excitement. And their conclusion is rather sad. They say, it is creating a generation of shy and risk-averse guys who are unable to and unwilling to navigate through the complexities and risks that are inherent to real relationships, school, and employment. The third servant that we uh, read about, he was risk-averse. And alas, we are creating an entire generation that is risk-averse. God has given us the resource of mind to steward as well. And as, uh, according to one estimate, uh, our brain alone has more than 100 billion nerve cells or neurons. Okay, that's 10 followed by 11 zeros. That many neurons. And all of those neurons, God wants us to bring them under the subjection of the Spirit so that we can love Him. And as I observe this parable, it is evident to me that is in the case of the first and the second servant, their heart, their mind, and their ways were aligned towards that one goal of loving God. And as we just saw in Mark 12:29, Jesus said, "Loving God with all our mind is part of the first, uh, first and the greatest commandment." And the Bible also says, to, uh, "Sorry." Uh, A.W. Tozer said, to do his gracious work, God must have intelligent cooperation. God is willing to do the work in our lives, but he wants our cooperation, cooperation that engages our mind. And the Bible says, to the renewal of our mind is important. First, to understand the kingdom of God. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, that to understand the kingdom of God, we need the renewal of our mind. And Paul said in Romans 12, uh, 2, it's crucial for our mind to be transformed into the image and likeness of God. And as our mind is renewed, the Holy Spirit releases supernatural electrical activity in our brain to love Jesus more. And the Lord also has given us treasures. Jesus never shied away 
from speaking about money. While the Bible has 500 uh, verses about uh, prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, there are about 2,300 verses which, uh, which talk about finances and uh, possessions. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. When it comes to governing our treasures or financial affairs, we have to choose between two radically different approaches. Either the approach of the world, where the value of our society, which tells us to find our identity, our happiness, our peace through money. Or we choose the biblical view, where the value of the Bible tells us to find the desire of our hearts in the Lord and to be content with what he gives. Money is a good servant, as someone said, but a very bad taskmaster. If we follow world's wisdom, money will dominate us. But if we submit to what the Bible says, the wisdom that comes from above in James 3rd chapter, money will serve us, and we'll be able to serve God and serve people with that. Recent statistics suggest that about 53% of churchgoers have given less than a penny to God in the last 30 days. Christians want to give. But they are so burdened by personal debt that even tithing becomes difficult. And therefore they are unable to experience the principle that unreserved commitment results in unrestrained blessings from God. Can't do justice to the uh, uh, message on stewardship. Pastor Sundar preached a series on stewardship and all his messages are in a booklet uh, they're in the, at the kiosk, so you can just uh, pay one dollar uh, for this just to cover the photocopying cost. And we also have a PDF version of this uh, on the uh, Rexdale website, so make sure that uh, uh, you pick it up and uh, read the, uh, the messages there. And I'm positive that they will be a great blessing to you. And as we wrap up this sermon, let me just briefly summarize what made the first two servants steward the resources that were given to them. And make the profit. And what is it that made the third servant to disappoint the master, but more importantly, disappoint himself? Make two observations. Or before we get to that, just to summarize what we have talked about. God has given us the stewardship of our time, our abilities, our love, our energy, our neurons, and our treasures. The first two servants displayed faithfulness. They, were, they displayed diligence. And they displayed integrity. The master said to them, you have been faithful in few things. In little things. Faithfulness over little things is what really gives to us more responsibility. But if you are not faithful in the little responsibilities and resources that God has made available to us, he can never entrust to us larger responsibilities. You ask any businessman, the statistics tell us only 3 to 4% of the businesses that have started off actually succeed. And the, and the ones that succeed can tie their success to faithfulness, to diligence, and to integrity. And faithfulness in little things, hard work. When we look at the third servant, we see that he had a misconception of who the master was. He said, to the, he said to the master, I knew you. But he, did he really know the master? He had a wrong view of the master. 
He looked at the master as someone who was hard and unreasonable and austere. We think of God, what we think of God is the most important thing about us, said a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor, A.W. Tozer. If our view of God is as a tyrant, then we filter everything we do, we say, we act through that lens of viewing God as a tyrant, as an unreasonable person. Not only did this third servant had a misconception about who the master was, he did not value what was given to him. And as I mentioned earlier, most people uh, believe that what was given in one talent was close to a million dollars. And even if he invested this one million in, uh, let's say, GICs with 1% interest, it would have given him almost $10,000 a year. And if the master came back after 10 years, a compounded interest for $1 million would have been $104,000 approximately. He did not value what was given to him. We use our supposed lack of resources as an excuse to sit on sidelines and not able to do anything. And the master and the third servant was also fearful of his master. Fear can totally paralyze us. His wrong view of God made him fearful of God. Yes, even today there are people who consider, who see God as an austere person and therefore it makes them to be afraid of this loving God. Perhaps he was also afraid of the potential of failure. I believe one of the reasons that Jesus uh, chose an astronomical figure in this particular example or uh, parable is to reveal that we can never use up the riches that God has made available to us. As long as we invest it, as long as we are trying, even if we lose, God has got unreserved replenishment for the uh, things that even we might lose. The second reason we, we should not fear failure is because of a greater fear of failing Jesus. If you're struggling with fear today, the best antidote is to understand the character of God and ask Him to grow faith in your life. The next thing we see is that this third servant hid his talents in the ground. He kept his talent out of sight of the people that interacted, that he interacted with. He acted alone. None of us are called to be lone soldiers. God has kept us in a community. And God has kept people around us. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like hiding your talent, when you feel like not wanting to use your talent, find somebody who can mentor you. Find an accountability partner who would walk with you in enabling you to understand the talent that you have and help you in investing it and keep you from burying that talent. He hid his talent from the ground. He kept his talent out of the sight of the people in his community. And finally we see that he was a lazy man. And Proverbs is full of passages of how laziness can impact. 
sloth and laziness is insidious. Slowly it seeps into you even before you realize that your energy is totally declining. Stewardship is a reflection of my relationship with God, with my God. And it's often evidenced in the priorities of my life. Now it appears that there was a a marketing professor who was uh, trying to make a point. So he brings a jar to his uh, class and he puts the jar out. And in that jar he begins to put some uh, big rocks. Some of you have probably heard this story. He puts these big rocks in there. A few of these big rocks. And then he fills the jar with smaller stones. And when he has filled the jar with smaller stones, he asked his students, is there any more room in the jar? And some of his students saw, yes, there was room in the uh, jar, inasmuch that there was space that was being seen through the cracks. So he begins to add some sand into it. And he asks them, is there any more room? And the students do not see any more room because the sand had just uh, settled in the bottom. He takes the water bottle and then pours water in it. And he says, what's the message? And somebody in the back raises their hand and says, there's always room for more. And the professor says, wrong. He says, if you don't get the big stones in first, you will never get them later on. What is our priority? What are the big stones in our lives that we need to put in first? To some Jesus' indictment against the third servant, wicked and lazy servant, might appear very harsh, very difficult to swallow. You might say, what's the big deal? He did not spend that talent. He did not lose that talent. He gave it back to him. But brothers and sisters, if you weigh that statement in the light of the fact that Jesus in invested his life blood to give you and me a life that we can enjoy, live, glorifying him on earth and pleasing him at the time of reckoning. It's not a difficult uh, uh, statement to uh, understand. Wasting the resources that God has given us could lead us to a colossal failure. We've got a plaque in our home. Tis one life to live. Only what's done for Jesus will count. Go in Jesus' name, recognizing and believing that you are very special creation of a loving God who has bestowed in you special abilities that no one else in this world has. May you be given the strength, diligence, and perseverance to see those gifts that are entrusted to you being used for the glory of God, giving you abundant satisfaction and incredible joy as you use them for His glory. In Jesus' name.